Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello! Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. It's the very special Monday Pickups edition. This is an all-ages show. I'm Andy Barons, uh, in your ears here. I am joined, of course, by fantasy legend Scott Pianowski. It was a wild and a messy and a glorious week in the NFL. Scott, what is up? How much did you enjoy that Sunday night game, and in particular, the ending of the Sunday night game, where finally a head coach declined to just give the ball back to a Hall of Fame quarterback with 30 or 40 seconds remaining in a game? Right, yeah. There's no friendliest loss in John Harbaugh's playbook um i loved it i loved giving agency to the quarterback of course you know lamar's gonna say go for it what quarterback would say punt any any quarterback who says we should punt you should immediately boot off your team but (laughs) right you know to me the funny thing about week two is that there's a lot of sluggishness in the early games and then when you got that second wave it's like oh okay here's kyler murray ready to make his mvp run you know is, is this the year he does what mahomes did and what and what jackson did and what josh allen did is he this year's guy who was already good plenty good but maybe he's ready to take a step forward. And Brady's like, hey, I want to be the oldest guy to win an MVP. And Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett were doing their thing. And then Kansas City and Baltimore had a game. I I know that you want to try not to have recency bias and be prisoners of the moment, but I got to figure when they're figuring out, when they're going over games of the year at the end of the season, that might've been the best game of the year. And it's going to be one of the three or four very best. Just two teams with a history, trading haymakers back and forth. Lead changes. I think that nothing makes sports more exciting than lead changes when you don't know who's going to win. When there's intrigue tr- strategically, there's some heroes. There's maybe a goat thrown in. It was just a, a wonderful second wave of football in an unbelievable Sunday night game. I, I don't know that the Lions and Packers will live up to that, but we'll see. <laughs> but the, the NFL never disappoints, you know. And I could say somebody right now is saying, "Oh, what a wild and crazy and exciting week!" I, that's every week in the NFL. The NFL is such a great product, and I really enjoyed that second batch of games. Yeah, um, we've been treated to some really good island games, right? The the Dallas Tampa game that started the season was great, even though even though the Giants and the Washington football team are perhaps not two teams that are going to make deep postseason runs. Um, that game was really fun. It, sure that was. had just about everything that you wanted, and then obviously the Sunday night game was was tremendous. You're right. I wish I could remember the New York sports writer, one of the one of the New York scribes after the Thursday game. He did a tweet that was WFT 30 WTF 29, <laughs> which I was a perfect way to sum up somehow the Giants snatching, uh, you know, snatching defeat away. I also realized, Andy Barons, that I have underestimated Graham Gano. Man, this guy, I, you know, I 
<laughs> I don't don't tell me about Vindatari. Don't tell me about Justin Tucker. Apparently, Graham Gano is never going to miss again. And it's great. In my Colorado league where we draft 400, 400 players, I don't know why somebody did this, but somebody named their team after Graham Gano. And that's oddly fantastic. enough, did not draft Graham Gano. They just have a team that's named after the guy. I, I don't know what the backstory is there, but that guy just doesn't miss. I, I had the WFT as one of my darts, and I'm like, you know, Gano missing. I wish I didn't feel like he was going to hit every 54-yard kick, but I, I guess that's where we are right now, where the Giants are being carried by their place kicker. Finally, kickers getting a little bit of love on this Take podcast. That, Brad you, you absolutely love to hear it. Uh, we have we have one little bit of pre-show business that I want to throw out there before we get into not only some pickups, but a handful of news items off of week two. Folks, if your Yahoo fantasy football team needs just a little bit of, little bit of help, a little tweaking, a little maintenance after week two, and you're looking for any kind of edge, you need Yahoo Fantasy Plus. Uh, we've got a trade hub. We've got a research assistant. We've got cheat sheets. All sorts of deeper extra features on top of the Yahoo Fantasy that you already know and love. Get your free trial of Yahoo Fantasy Plus at yahoofantasyfootball.com slash plus. Do it. Uh, again, lots of data research tools in there that are not just available to anyone. And oh, and, and then you'll get a, a little newsletter that I am crafting each week in your email, uh, usually on Friday morning, first thing you wake up to on Friday morning. So uh, please check that out. Uh, all right, let's let's get into week two a little bit. And before we get into the pickups, I just want to hit a couple of items. I was going through your booms and busts column on Sunday night. It's a great, a great piece that you always churn out on, on Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. Um, really fun stuff in there. And we're going to within the pickups, we're going to hit on a lot of these players. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to steal the lead. I don't want to steal too many items out of it. But there were just a few things that I that I took note of. And I want to bring them up with you to make sure that we talk about them. Elijah Mitchell, that, that's kind of where I want to start because uh, it ties obviously into this podcast. He was the probably the buzziest pickup exiting week one. I set what turned out to be an outrageously low recommended uh, acquisition budget offer for him, right? Like that wouldn't have won him anywhere um, because the fantasy community kind of collectively decided that they needed to push all chips in for Elijah Mitchell, it seemed. Um, and so almost every league I was in, he he went for just an outrageous, uh, an, just an absolutely outrageous offer. I, I rarely saw anybody get him spending 50% of their fab. Uh, usually it required 70 plus to me. That was I don't I'm, I mean this is not hindsight here we t- we talked about him on last week's show I wrote about him last week I think that's crazy I think there was very little chance that a San Francisco running back was going to become some sort of like full workload featured guy simply because we we just haven't seen it under Shanahan but that's but apparently that's what the rest of the industry agreed to was that Elijah Mitchell was going to be you know 25 touches a game for the rest of the year perhaps and we needed to we needed to go all in on that I also didn't love him in opening week I know he had the long touchdown thought he left some yards out there I thought Raheem Mostert would have clearly had a better day with the same workload I don't know, but he's he's in this weird situation now where they're all hurt, right? Jamichael Hasty walked away with a with an ankle injury. Trey Sermon got a carry, looked fine, and then got concussed and lost the football. So uh, we don't we don't think we're going to see him perhaps next week. Hopefully we do. Hopefully he's able to come back. And Mitchell hurt a shoulder, but he was the healthiest guy on that on that sideline, at least among the running backs at the end of the day. So what did you see? What are you hoping for moving forward? Yeah, I, I was with you where I made reasonably competitive bids for Mitchell last week, offers for Mitchell that I didn't think would win, and they didn't. 
And I think what happened last week is a lot of teams offered for Mitchell um, reactively and not proactively. It's not that they were looking to add a running back, but more like I need to add a running back. I just lost Gus Edwards, or I, I just lost somebody yeah. that's been in, there's been attrition at the position. I, they just lost Raheem Mostert, perhaps. Maybe they were counting on Trey Sermon to be playable right out of the box, which obviously he, he wasn't. So I think a lot of the people who ended up being at the top of that bidding chain, that that offer chain, were the people who needed to try to make something happen and just had to hope that Mitchell could be the player that could could be startable most weeks. And I feel like the game Mitchell had is, is going to be, it, it's a choose your own adventure. It's kind of a half, the, the cup is, is half full, half empty. If you're a pro Mitchell person, you might say, well, he got most of the carries. He did have a short touchdown run that was overturned. It was really difficult to tell if he got in or not. What, a, what a day for negated touchdowns, by the way. There's, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to hear about that when I, when I ask people for bad beats this week. I mean, what a day. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of negated touchdowns. Um, Derek Carr had one in Pittsburgh. I, I sometimes it's better off not to know, but anyway, he got the majority <laughs> of the work, as you said. Uh, Hasty, who I think looks pretty good, got dinged up. The the one sermon carry couldn't have gone worse with with the result of the play. So, what what where are we at the end of the day? We know Kyle Shanahan has productive offense. We know Kyle Shanahan thinks he can turn any running back on his roster, and at some point. Wilson's going to be back in this mix, maybe in the middle of yeah. the year or something. He, you know, remember how he ran all over New England last year. I mean, he, Shanahan thinks you can give him anybody in NFL roster. You give give him John Ritchie, and, and he'll he'll turn John Ritchie into a hundred seventeen yard <laughs> guy who had like twelve NFL carries, right? As a fullback, yeah, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll make him the, the second coming of Nick Goings. You know, the second coming of. Um, who was that guy who was on the let's, Madden let's cover? Let's drag Toby Gerhardt out of retirement. Right, Toby right Gerhardt out of retirement. <laughs> who was the one guy who had the great year for the Browns and, and was on the Madden cover? Peyton Hillis. Peyton Hillis, right. Maybe I can have another Peyton Hillis story. So the problem with fantasy is that we need to call the shot ahead of time. We need to see where the usage and balls going ahead of time. So to any Mitchell manager who's frustrated right now, I'd say, well, at least you got the touches. At least nobody really shoved him out of the way. Philadelphia also deserves their defensive front has played fantastic yeah. the, the first two weeks. You stop Atlanta, maybe that doesn't mean that much to us. But when you hold down the Niners, that does mean something to me. So the matchup played into it. Bottom line is, and, and I don't envy you doing the the waiver pickup uh, column because it's, there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all. What, what somebody's strategy may have been is so context-dependent about what your team yes. needs are. Yes. And I know they want you to put out a suggested bid. But it's entirely possible that one person's bid should have been 80% and one person's bid should have been 20% because they have different needs. They have different cadences of, of pickups or the way their league operates. So it's it, – you really can't – you know, some leagues, you know somebody's going all in. You know, I'm in a baseball league right now where we're, we have weekly fab offering and I have to go max on players because I know somebody else is going to do it too and I, I really yeah. want to get the guy I want. So – just keep this in mind. I think everybody knows this who listens to the show or who engages on Yahoo. We have really smart listeners and readers. It's You've got to season it to taste. You know your league better than we do. And sometimes Andy's going to come in low and you know you're going to go higher. Sometimes Andy's coming in high and you know in your league you can go lower. You, you really have to that's, – that's my thing here is you really get to season it to taste. I thought Mitchell's game was a little bit disappointing, but at least he got the heavy workload, and you know that that's something. At least we can still look at him as maybe a low end RB two next week. 
Yeah, you're so right. If you're in a 16-team league and you were actually relying on Raheem Mostert, um, you, you probably needed to push most of the chips in for Elijah Mitchell. There was really no choice about it because you already, you'd already placed a bet on that situation and that team, and he was pretty clearly the the next man up. Um, you're so right about that. We play in that 20-team league uh, run by Charles Robinson, and like he he was obviously like a you know just empty the empty the fab cannon. <laughs> On that player, right? Because there's not a, you know, there's not really a guarantee that anybody else is going to emerge all season. So it's very context dependent. You're totally correct on that. Let's also point out one other thing, too. So let's say you're the Mitchell guy now. You're the Mitchell manager and you pushed in most of your chips or maybe even all of your chips. That means you have to be the week ahead guy. You get to be proactive. Okay. Like uh, we're going to mention in passing the Carolina defense uh, later in the show, you had to pick up the Carolina defense ahead of everybody else before anybody wanted them to say, okay, they get Houston next week. That's a good matchup. So you get to, you get to be doing two things every week. Uh, This is what good managers do anyway, but especially once you run out of leverage in the fab game, you got to look at the schedule ahead of time. And you have to ask yourself, what player is one plausible, realistic thing away, event away from having a bunch of value where he could be somebody we're all clamoring for in a week? And part of that's going to be luck. It's going to be some trial and error. You're, you're going to pan for gold a lot. A lot of times you're going to come up with, with worthless rocks and you're going to throw them away. But that's how you play the game. That's how you play the game anyway. But once you run out of fab leverage, that's especially critical that you start looking ahead and steal those points. Again, you know, the DST moves just by looking a week or two ahead of the schedule, it's amazing how you can get good matchups that way. Or just ask yourself, what player is one really simple path into coming into value if, if something goes his way? Um, if you're in a super flex league, I'll, I'll roster backup quarterbacks in super yep. flex formats, right? Because you don't know. Is this the week that I, mean, I think Fields was probably rostered in a lot of super flexes? But you know, ask yourself, would this offense be 80% as good? You know, t- I, I wish I had more. Taylor Heineke, right? I think he could be just as good as maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I didn't have him in Superflex format. So just get used to looking ahead, whether you have leverage or not, because that's a big part. If The whole key to fantasy, Andy, is being able to get to a point, get to a fact, get to a stat, get to a trend before it's obvious to everybody else. If you can yep. be a little bit early to something, that's how you win fantasy leagues. We're also we're also in the time of year that uh, other people's trash has a lot of appeal, right? There were some there were some drops after week one that that really I thought were pretty eye opening. Like Michael Pittman was one of the most popular drops after week one, and was he just he went really? off in week oh, wow. two. I mean, he was there were a couple of consecutive days there. I was I was trying to look at the transaction trends list uh, in in Yahoo leagues, and Pittman was. You know, obviously not in, you know, these are not in the leagues that you and I are necessarily playing in. Um, but across the the Yahoo world, because it also tells you something about who's available via trade, right? Like if if tens of thousands of people are dropping a player, there's a decent chance that the guy who's got him on the roster in your league is still, is a little disappointed at him. Maybe maybe not dropping him, but is probably has probably soured on him. And man, were people dropping Michael Pittman after after one quiet week, um, and then of course he goes off. So like a lot of good players. Hitting the hitting the wire unnecessarily. Let me, let me piggyback to that. One other really great evergreen tip is you should be auditing the drops in your league every week, and that especially becomes critical when the bye weeks kick in. Because what happens when we get to the bye week season in a few weeks, people will start cutting players they really don't want to cut because yeah. they're desperate to win right away. I, I, they're off to a one and four start. All of a sudden, week six becomes a, mu- a must win game. They have injury problems. And all of a sudden, they're cutting maybe a rookie receiver who started off slowly. One year, the year that the, in 2014, when all the rookie receivers were great, 
Uh, Brad Evans had to drop Mike Evans because he had needs in the middle of the season. I picked up Mike Evans and he was great for me in the second half of the year. I, you're going to get opportunities because now the drops become harder and good players get cut. So don't, and there's nothing more frustrating than seeing, oh man, Andy just picked up this really good player. I didn't know he was cut. I didn't realize somebody cut that guy two two days ago because <laughs> they were frustrated or they had unusual roster challenges. So yeah, just get the just get into the. And I know it's you know it's a lot of maintenance if you're in a lot of leagues and everything. I, I try to steer everything to Yahoo, so I have um, the the simplest um, path to just moving around. And also be aware of if any player ever comes into value and you want to pick somebody up. If you're in a bunch of Yahoo leagues like Andy and I are. There's a great league availability tab that you yeah. can click that will show immediately what the player's status is. Or sometimes it's like, oh, how many times do I roster Tyler Lockett? I click on that and I see a bunch of Tyler Lockett's on my teams and I feel good. You know, but that's a great <laughs> way of seeing if all if all of a sudden, I don't know, um, JJ Taylor became valuable in New England. You could go on there, click on JJ Taylor league availability, and you'll know what leagues he's available in. You can jump in right away. Another time saver. And a way to help you manage, because I know a lot of us are playing in multiple leagues, and you need these little tricks to the trade that will help you save time and make your time, you know, use your time most efficiently. One additional thing that I want to get to with you before we hit this week's pickups, um, and it was just a little note at the end of the booms and busts uh, feature, Buffalo. They just, I mean, they just won a road game in the division, thirty-five to nothing, which you know that's pretty good. That's, <laughs> that's it's hard to hard to complain about a thing like that. Um, we should all be feeling good about any Bills, presumably. It's just that that and look, Josh Allen entered this season MVP candidate. He was marvelous last year, made a huge leap, one of the biggest leaps that I think I've ever seen um, at, at that position from where he was as a college player to where he is now. But uh, the first two games of his 2021 season sure look a lot like they belong to the 2019 game log. Um, You wrote about it just a little bit. Uh, Some of it's probably fluky. I think he was one for seven on deep attempts in week one, and that is skewing some things. And of course, if he connected on that big one to Emmanuel Sanders in the opener, maybe I'd be feeling differently about him. Is there any level of concern, any level of nervousness there? I guess the the main takeaway I wanted to make is that when Buffalo wins 35 to nothing, if you didn't get a chance to watch that game or analyze that game, you might think, oh, okay, they're back in business. The offense was a little sluggish against Pittsburgh, but they got everything back in order. They, they only had just a little over uh, 314 yards of total offense, 21 first downs. They had what, what probably should have amounted to maybe 17 points. And it turns out they yeah. finished all their drives. And, and Miami put up just about no fight back. I mean, they, they lost two early in that game and nothing went right for Miami. Defenses have adjusted to to Buffalo. They're they're laying back. They're asking Allen to make shorter throws. I think Buffalo made a mistake just saying, "Look, we're just going to pass every down." And you know Pittsburgh tried to stop it, and Pittsburgh did stop it in Week One. It's still a good offense, but I, I just the, the thing I want to guard against is just to think, just to see the thirty five points and think, "Oh, okay, every everything's back in order." I'll, I'll I'll play Josh Allen in DFS next week. You know, obviously, look, I'm not telling anybody to sit Stephon Diggs or anything like that, but. They're still trying to figure out how to adjust to what the new blueprint is. I think they will adjust. I'm very curious to see what they do against the WFT this week. Yeah. Uh, defense I thought was going to be a monster, and I've been very disappointed. I mean, last week against Daniel Jones, I was looking for 17 defensive points. I didn't get any yep. turnovers. I don't you know, know, how, know how that happened. So I feel like Buffalo's offense is not really firing in all cylinders. I feel like the WFT defense is the same thing applies. I'm curious to see who shows their best foot forward. Just 
just make sure you don't see the 35 points and think that Buffalo magically fixed everything because they still left a lot of yards and a lot of points, believe it or not, on the field Sunday. Yeah, uh, fully agree. Allen was was I think just over fifty percent as a passer through a pick. Not not great. I'm re- I'm relying on Allen in a couple of places, and I'm sure he'll be fine um, because last year really happened and it was glorious. Um, and I'm sure he's going to be okay. But uh, it was an important note. I thought there were a couple of late rushing scores that really didn't mean a lot within the context of that game. But it it sure made the the lead and the and the point differential look a little bit more dramatic than than any of it actually felt. Let's uh, let's jump into the quarterback position actually first as we as we look at pickups because while there wasn't like some you know uh, there there wasn't a quarterback who went down who were necessarily banking on in eight and ten team leagues 12 team leagues anything like that but there was a lot of damage done at the quarterback position yesterday uh injuries included Carson Wentz who has an ankle Andy Dalton's got a knee it doesn't seem like it's a uh, ACL the team was was uh, fairly optimistic about that might be a bone bruise it's something uh Tyrod Taylor actually pulled up at the end of a touchdown run he's got a hamstring issue you mentioned Tua he's got a rib injury which is like the most painful excruciating and confusing injury that one one can have right so that's that's a little bit dicey so the ads I wrote about this week the ads that we mentioned uh in the column were Daniel Jones in part because he's about to face Atlanta he's looked pretty frisky this year he's been good um Derek Carr of course who's on pace for like 8,000 passing yards or something stupid um Sam Darnold, who's looks he's looked good in back to back games. We've mentioned him before. The whole first half of his season is just kind of a layup line of friendly opponents. And he's got Houston coming up and then he's got Dallas after that. So he's just got a he's got a nice little runway ahead of him. And then uh, Teddy Bridgewater as well. He's about to face the Jets. And you've mentioned Taylor Heineke. He's got Atlanta in two weeks. Um, The upcoming matchup, maybe not as good. But man, he's the guy who's throwing a Terry McLaurin. So how do you sort all those guys? I can't believe I'm saying this, but I want to play Daniel Jones after seeing how proactive <laughs> he's been in the running game. And they do look, they do have good pieces, right? Sterling Shepard's a good player. I, I can't believe what his roster tag was early in the season. He was just a great opportunity to get, I think, a very startable wide receiver three. And at least Barkley was, I thought he looked more spry in week two. The snaps went up, the workload went up. I think they're getting closer to. 100% Barkley, which will only help the offense. And I feel like at this point, Jan- Daniel Jones has 30 to 50 rushing yards in his back pocket. He could maybe do better than that, has some touchdown equity. And that's just a huge part of, you, not that you can't make it as a, as a pocket passer. I mean, look at what Brady is doing right now and, and some other quarterbacks, but it sure helps if you have the back. You know, I, I never even know if Jalen Hurts is playing that well, but I always know he's going to run for like 78 yards right, and probably right. a touchdown. That's right. fantasy gold. So I'm... I, I got to let bygones be bygones, bygones with Daniel Jones and add him. Sam Darnold, you know, Houston and Dallas, he's, he's doing the Texas two-step. He's got all the he's got all the help you want, right? Christian McCaffrey is just dynamic, 30 touches a week. He's so good. as He's not that he catch everything, but he, he makes yards after the catch. You, you can throw a flip to McCaffrey. He might run with it 30 yards. DJ Moore has asserted himself as the true alpha in this offense, Robbie Anderson is really good as like a third option in an offense. And, and even Dan Arnold, if you're looking for somebody at tight end, they showed uh, chemistry, uh, uh, Darnold and, Ar- and um, Arnold did. Easy for me to say. So <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of good a lot of good pieces here. Look, Houston, I know they got the win the first week. I, their defense can't really stop anything right now. Yeah, I, I, I know it's a Thursday game. That not everybody likes playing Thursday players, but I, I'll approve Sam Darnold for all audiences. Really, everybody you mentioned, I, you, you mentioned Heineke, who gets Atlanta in two weeks. 
Derek Carr, I I thought the Raiders were going to walk into that Pittsburgh 10 a.m. body clock game after an emotional Monday night win and lay an egg. And instead, I'm not sure the Steelers ever showed up. Derek Carr looked fantastic without a running game. Uh, he, he threw almost 400 yards against a defense that we certainly respect. They're starting to get some mileage out of, out of Ruggs and Edwards, their second-year receivers. Obviously, Darren Waller is a gigantic matchup problem. Derek Carr is going to end the season. He's not going to win your league for you or anything, but I think he's a chance to end the season as like quarterback 10, quarterback 12, quarterback 13, something that's very playable. He deserves to graduate from this list. And what really encouraged me with Bridgewater, because I, I thought when Judy went down, that you know, Judy, Jerry Judy is Bridgewater's guy. Is he going to click with other people? Well, what happened first week? Tim Patrick, touchdown. Cortland Sutton, monster game. Uh, Noah Fant, touchdown. You know, we yep. know how we love those Iowa tight ends. So uh, Teddy Bridgewater <laughs> seems cemented as a starter on a team with really good, e- even with Judy out indefinitely. And who's to say Judy's ever back to full throttle this year. But Teddy Bridgewater has gotten comfortable in this room awfully quickly. And, and man, did the Broncos look frisky. We know the defense is good. Uh, and they got off to a good start. You know, the, the two teams that are presumably better in this division have already lost. So I think yeah. the Broncos are going to be a fun team this year. And I think Teddy Bridgewater is, is going to be, I think he's, again, graduated from, okay, he's a streamer. He's a bench guy. I do like a super flex. I'm certainly starting him. And and if I don't feel good about my first quarterback, I'd have no problem plugging him in. I, I, I know I'm, I'm not giving you a lot of definition with these guys, but I think there's a lot of options here. I have just been so wrong in my in my ranks on uh, on Derek Carr so far. Like I thought both of these matchups were stay away matchups, and and why are we even bothering to to look at him, talk about him? Um, I don't trust his receivers outside of Darren Waller. Right there was there was there was just not much to like. There was there was sure. very little reason to recommend him, and now he's sitting on like eight hundred plus passing yards through two through two weeks. He's been he's been great. He's made wonderful decisions. Uh, I have nothing bad to say about him. You you mentioned it like they they even had the whole you know go traveling west to east thing. Weird start time. None of this none of this is is. It, it seemed to be teeing up well. Plus, they're coming off a really emotional, exciting win, right? There's no way this On is going to go well night, at no Pittsburgh, less, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then he was fantastic. So, uh, Derek Carr should certainly be graduating from this list, and and I'm beginning to think that you know within a couple of weeks he will no longer be eligible for this segment. The the guy, as you mentioned, I think right at the top, the guy that I am prioritizing just for a week though it is going to be Daniel Jones. Um, he gets Atlanta. We haven't seen Atlanta stop anything yet. Um, they've been, they've been at times hilariously bad, um, obviously carved up by Brady. It was quite a different thing to get carved up by Daniel Jones, but Jones's Jones's look good. And for the benefit of anybody who didn't actually sit through the entire Thursday night game, like there were a lot of stats that Jones probably deserved. They didn't get, there was a, there was a long rushing touchdown that was, uh, that was negated by penalty. There was a ball that he put on Darius Slayton's hands in the end zone that he didn't corral, right? Like there's, there's a couple of touchdowns there that should have been, and as you say, he's got he's got that weekly rushing upside. I'm I'm here for that. And he's great, great athlete, you know. I mean, he's he's not he's somebody that they can actually run some proactive um running things with. And and he's you know, the one thing with really the, the one thing that's keeping Jones from being a good quarterback is ball security, right? He just fumbles yeah. too much, he he throws too many interceptions. That's why it was such a shocker to me when he didn't have a turnover against the WFT and, and negotiate the pocket skillfully. He did take a few sacks, but if he can get it now, look, I, I know it's not, there's not a lot of quarterbacks who come into the league with poor pocket awareness who end up developing that skill, but I'm not going to say it's impossible either. 
you know, John Elway was uh, famously a mess his rookie year. And then Josh Allen, who probably reminds a lot of us of John Elway, you know, you look, look at who he was early in his career. He was, yeah. he was a great, you can see the greatest and the worst play in football history from Josh Allen on back-to-back snaps. And then, <laughs> you know, last year he graduated to, you know, near the top of the class at, at quarterback. I Look, I'm, I'm not saying certainly that Daniel Jones is going to be a John Elway or a Josh Allen, but players can get better. And I'm optimistic that at least with that rushing floor and, and you know, the Falcons defense seems to wherever you want to go on the field, the Falcons seem to be a very worthy escort. So let's try to take advantage of that. Totally true. Let's switch to the wide receivers. We had a handful of injuries here as well. They include Jarvis Landry, who's got an MCL. LaVisca Chenault has a shoulder issue. Deontay Johnson, as as happens fairly often, uh, suffered an injury limping around. It looked really bad. It now sounds like it's perhaps not going to be a disaster. So that's great. Um, it was a, a knee issue. Seems like he's going to be okay. Avoided a major situation there. The guys that I wrote about this week in the column, I like this is going to be I, I feel like I'm kind of playing the hits here because we've talked about some of these guys before. I got to start with Rondell Moore. I think Rondell Moore is special. Um, like I like a lot of the other guys on this list, but I think Rondell Moore is legit special and to oversimplify it a bit. They've, they've basically replaced all the targets that they were funneling to a past his prime Larry Fitzgerald. And they're now giving it to an absolutely electric kid with sub four, three speed, um, who is, is making really fun things happen. And I like, I know he scored, he scored on kind of a, a fluky broken play in, in week two. But there's going to be a lot of fun moments like that in this Arizona offense because that's Kyler Murray because they're going to they're going to roll up huge point totals. And that's Rondale Moore as well. And he's playing, man, he, he really spiked in terms of the number of routes that he ran, the number of snaps that he played. So I'm really excited for Rondale Moore. I can't believe he's still eligible here. Um, we featured him last week. He's still out there again. I just absolutely love him. He was a sensational player at the college level when he was healthy, and he's immediately sensational and eye-popping in the NFL. The other guys uh, that we wrote about that that I just want to throw out here, Tim Patrick, Darius Slayton, for obvious reasons. He's got Atlanta coming up as well. Freddie Swain had a day. Henry Ruggs had a day. Uh, Hunter Renfro just keeps drawing targets. He's got about a zillion targets from Derek Carr so far. And... One other name, K.J. Osborne, has has suddenly turned the third receiver spot in Minnesota into a thing. Suddenly that matters. Um, so how do you sort the rest of these guys? I assume I assume that you're enthusiastic about more. It, maybe it doesn't match my own enthusiasm, but that, that kid is good. Yeah, I think Moore is becoming the player that Kansas City thought they were getting with Cole Hardman. Maybe Ooh, they had I like some that. of it. Some of it is first year. And that was what a great play that was with Kyler. No Kyler Murray play is, is ever over until he's actually on, on the turf <laughs> and they blow in the whistle. And it takes a play that just we've seen Russell Wilson do this, but I think maybe even Kyler Murray's better at it, at just being impossible to to tackle or, or very challenging to tackle. And he'll just run wherever he has to run. And then at some point he resets and he's got this bazooka of an arm that can reach every corner of the field. Now it turns out that touchdown more was wide open. But guess what? When you scramble for that long, the defensive backs can't cover you forever. Yeah. At some point, you just hurl the thing downfield. It, it's one of the most exciting plays in football, right? And and I and I love also that as great as Murray is as a runner, that he's thinking of these broken plays. Okay, somebody's wide open downfield. Let's let's hit let's that score. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's score on this play. I that I, I gained nothing from that. I think I might have had Murray on some DFS uh, rosters. I don't have him in seasonal, which is going to be no fun to sit out this MVP run of a season. It looks like he's going to have, but 
yeah, I'm with you on Moore. And, and the other thing, too, with Moore is he's getting enough targets. You know, sometimes you see a home run threat, but you know it's like two to four targets a week. I think Moore is, is used a little bit more than that, is on the field. We know Cliff Kingsbury can't have enough wide receivers on the field on every play pretty much. So you don't have to – it's not like it's going to be like, oh, yeah, he played 32% of the snaps. He had three targets. I'm not worried about that. Moore's going to be on the field a lot. Tim Patrick's a touchdown scorer. There's a lot of people he has to share with in Denver. And I thought it was very notable that the game Cortland Sutton had because I wasn't sure when we'd see Cortland Sutton back yeah. in full throttle. I thought right. there was a decent chance we wouldn't see it at all this year. And the game he just had, it makes it seem like, okay, here I am. Entertain me. So Patrick, <laughs> I don't know that he could be third or fourth on this team in receiving yards, but he's got a profile that leads to getting targets near the goal line. I think he's going to lead this team in receiving touchdowns and he should be rostered. I feel like last year we, we had a Tim Patrick segment. I mean, we were just you know, recommending him <laughs> constantly, but uh, here we are again. And guess what? The quarterback plays better because Teddy Bridgewater is a lot better than Drew Locke. Yeah. So I'd like to see you get on, on board with that. Henry Ruggs is going to be boomer bust is what receivers for the most part are. They're only a handful of guys we count on every week. So when I say Henry Ruggs is a boomer bust receiver, yeah. So sort of like 90% of the guys at this position, but at least they're looking deep to him. Derek Carr, who at times was accused of maybe having some of that Alex Smith inclination, never saw a safe throw he didn't want to take. They're getting more vertical. Right, right? The only play really Ruggs remember, everybody remembers from last year was that long touchdown he had against the Chiefs when they upset them in Kansas City. You get to give, you get to respect Ruggs, the pedigree. He was the first receiver drafted in an unbelievable receiver class. He made some plays late in the Baltimore game. He made the, the game-clinching game at Pittsburgh. He's become a what the heck flex to, to use the Sigmund Bloom term. Uh, you just uh, you don't have an obvious flex guy, or you need some upside. Maybe you're even playing car in a format, and you need to correlate your scoring because you're an underdog in your game. I could see DFS juice here. I'm excited because Rugs can run by people. You know, his touchdown was I'm wide open. Throw me, throw me the ball. Let me run under it, and I'll be in the end zone. I, we're going to see more of that. There's also going to be bumps in the road with that type of player. Again, very yeah. heavily boom or bust, but. I, I wish I had more exposure to Henry Ruggs than I than I already have. As far as Hunter Renfro, there are going to be some deeper leagues where the five for 52 receiver has value. That's who he is. He's just that boring Muhammad Sanu. I get some usage every week. I'm never going to have a blow-up game. I'm never going to have a three-touchdown game. I'm not going to score an 80-yard touchdown. But – if you're happy with four to six catches, maybe seven on a good day, anywhere from 40 to 60 yards, maybe 75 on a good day, that's who Hunter Renfro is. He wins on an option route on third down and catches a nine-yard pass. It's not I, the sexiest Can I interest in you in a poor man's Cole Beasley? No? Right. Well, yeah, he's really, really a poor man's Cole Beasley. Like, you know, <laughs> so socially funded poor, Cole man, uh, poor man's Cole Beasley. But he's there. Um, it's hard for me to see Swain having staying power. I like Darius Slayton. I wish he hadn't dropped a... Sure, touchdown pass on Thursday night, but you know, much love to the Auburn receiver. Again, if the Patriots had taken him instead of Nikhil Harry, I think I would have been healthy, uh, happy with that. With Osborne, we just got to make sure he's healthy. Uh, there is room for somebody else to spread their wings in that Minnesota passing game. You know, their tree is gloriously narrow. It, you know, Jefferson and Thielen are, are going to be factors just about every week. They'd like to have a third receiver pop. It's been Osborne so far. I just want to see what his health status is before I commit to an offer. Yeah, maybe it's as simple as it was going to be Irv Smith or it was going to be the tight end position and they've been banged up and obviously Smith isn't health, healthy and and now it's Osborne. And they've also, a little bit of it is game script too, obviously. They fell behind Cincinnati. 
obviously they were in a shootout in week two as well. And it's not going to be like, that's not, that's not the ideal game plan for Minnesota, but when it's there and when you see a path to it being there, Osborne might have a little juice. I, the only other thing that I want to just underscore that you mentioned there, and I love that you said it is that it's not, it's not an insult to call somebody a boomer bust receiver. That's the whole league. That's the whole league. I see people say it all the time on on social platforms where they they seem to be dismissing players by saying, "Oh, he's a boomer bust guy. He's a high variance guy." Well, we like high variance guys win you weeks sometimes. Like we like the booms, uh, even if even if they only. But like I don't know, Will Fuller for a couple of years there was sure he was a high variance guy, but when he popped, you won. You absolutely won. And so, yeah, but the, my, my real point here is that that's that's the whole damn league. Um, there were I'm looking at it right now. There were there were 17 wide receivers last year who saw over 120 targets. That's it. Those guys, those guys who were super heavily targeted and in good offenses and all that, those, those are your consistent every week guys. That's what people mean when they say consistency. They don't mean you're consistently four catches for 40 yards. They mean you're consistently useful. There's almost nobody like that. And then everybody else is a boomer bus player. And so we have to we have to kind of lean into that a little bit. You can't just dismiss everybody because they might have some three for 30 weeks. Right. Hopefully you have one or two of those players that you talked about who have the very high target floor. And th- those are the guys who set the backbone, who set the foundation. And then you're just hoping to get lucky with a big play or with some goal line equity or whatever it is with your third receiver. I, you, people don't have unless you drafted extremely well or you're in a keeper league and you've, you know, you've hypnotized your opponents or whatever it is. I mean, <laughs> you don't, you don't have three of those guys, you know, there's yeah. a reason why those receivers who have high weekly floors are gone by the early third round, middle third round. You, you don't even know what you're getting anymore. Although man, wherever Cooper cup went in your league, it wasn't early enough. Cause that guy looks like he's ready to have 120 catches him and, and Matt Stafford are probably completing each other's sentences right now. And uh, I have some cup. I wish it was more, but you're right. There just aren't you know, the consistency at the wide receiver position is kind of a myth. There's just a handful of guys who really check that box. And then the rest of us, we're trying to play matchups. We're trying to play who has a plausible chance to make a big play for me today. Yep, absolutely. Um, I want to I want to talk about the running backs now. And it's it's hard. Um, I'm just going to I'm going to run through some of the big injuries at the top. Daryl Henderson uh, checked out with a with a rib injury. Uh, we do, we certainly can't guess at his status for week three just yet. Um, but he didn't play like when it happened, he didn't play. And Sony Michelle came on at the exact moment that I was really tempted to say, okay, I give, I give up on Sony Michelle and I'm kicking into the curb. I've got him in a couple leagues. I was like, okay, we're done here. They clearly like Henderson. Uh, and then Michelle came on. He was really good. He was fine. He was, he was every bit as good as Henderson, certainly late in that game. He was not a problem for them. So that might be a thing. And I am no longer cutting Sony Michelle from the team where I have him. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. Every 49ers running back was injured. Literally everyone was injured. Um, Mitchell has a shoulder. Hasty has an ankle. Sermon with the concussion. But I, I feel like there's a couple guys here that that shouldn't qualify for the pickup segment because they're they're rostered in a few too many leagues. But I want to talk about them anyway. And the, the first is the first is Michelle. And it's a pretty simple conversa- conversation there, I suppose, because he's his value is is really linked to Henderson's availability. The other guy just over 50% rostered. So I didn't I didn't write him up or anything like that because you can't add him in a league of normal size or normal competitiveness. But Tony Pollard, just over 50% rostered. Another player that you wrote about in the in the booms and busts, um, he, he looks at least every bit as good as Zeke right now. <laughs> like Tony Pollard's a really good player. Um, and we've known that for a while. He's had some, but it, it, you know, this happens all the time. It's happened throughout fantasy history, NFL history, running backs on lighter workloads. 
especially when they're running Ben, I'm not saying Pollard is this guy, but sometimes they come in on third down and, you know, there's a lot of yards that are available to them that are not available on early downs to other running backs. And we get, you know, high opinions of them and all that. They're, they're like rotating Tony Pollard in and he's seeing, he's seeing the normal touches that Zeke sees and Pollard, Pollard is, is really good. He had one of my favorite runs of uh, all of last season. He had a great run uh, this past week against the Chargers. His his highlights are good. His non highlights, his just sort of uh, you know it, uh, bread and butter carries, they're really good too. He's just a productive player. This is this is why it is often thought that you probably shouldn't throw ninety million dollars at a you know second contract for a running back. The Cowboys did it. They've they've obviously priced Zeke into a spot where he has to play. You can't not get you know some worth out of a and, and I'm, I don't mean to talk about him as if I, we should totally dismiss Zeke either as a really good player it's just that Tony Pollard is obviously a really good player as well and and how do you see that situation going forward before we get into the other pickups uh, Pollard one of the most fascinating players from from week two and to me the big takeaway was that it seems like they're going to use Pollard enough or they could use Pollard enough where he could become a standalone flex guy as opposed to, okay, I'm just going to roster him in, in case something happens to Zeke. Of course, Zeke's contract is going to play into this. They paid him way too much money for him to be mothballed. But could this be a 70-30 backfield? Could it be a 65-35 backfield? Maybe if Pollard gets something going, there'll be days where it's 50-50. I think that's in play. So I want you, not only do I want you to add Pollard if you can, but if you've rostered Pollard, you know, Frank Schwab and I, my Yahoo colleague, we we co-managed a team where we had Gus Edwards. We'd kind of gone with a zero RB build anyway. Edwards is gone immediately. I think Pollard's going to be a staple for us now. We have great receivers. It's, it's, a, it's a deeper league. It's a 14-team league. But we're encouraged. We, I think we actually had to play Pollard this week more out of desperation, and I think we kind of got lucky with that. But he's going to be a thing in this offense. It's going to be a secondary thing. At least there's no – you know, the rules have changed. It used to be 10, 15 years ago in fantasy, any team that used the backfield by committee, you wanted to run away from it. You were, you were <laughs> petrified. Yeah. Now, if a team at least can settle on two guys, you can live with that. As long as there's not a third guy, they're not, you, you know, vanity giving touchdowns to fullbacks and to fourth receivers, right? I and mean, we've learned to live with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in Cleveland. You know, Ch- Kareem Hunt gets started in more leagues than not, I think, right now, at least in the 12 team and up leagues because he has a definitive role and there's not a third running back who gets in the way so i'm fascinated i think pollard right now is as good as zeke i think he might even be a little bit better than zeke the contract is going to keep zeke in the pilot's chair but any week pollard starts fast you know in his first series i think you're going to see games where he gets double digit touches or or maybe he's their closer or maybe they just say hey pollard's just the better guy today this is a team they have enough talent to win that division it's not a strong division every team has flaws and I don't think they can they can sit Pollard as much as they did last year. So he's a fascinating guy who I hope is on your rosters. I, everybody else here is more of a step down. I'm encouraged that Zach Moss one played and two really finished his touchdown runs. I mean, there's a guy who you know was like, okay, it's almost like you could smell the end zone, you know. And they said, okay, we're going to triple your salary if you get in. I mean, I'm, <laughs> he, he ran with with purpose. He ran with just a conviction that you want to see. I mean, everybody tries hard. The NFL is, is such a competitive and, and physically gifted league, but Zach Moss showed at least, and I know that the percentages, the averages weren't that pretty, but he, he made a case for maybe I should be the goal line back here, even though Devin Singletary's run well. And we know Josh Allen is, is such a, 
a beast at the goal line and so athletic. I think there's a very reasonable path. I drop I dropped Zach Moss in the league after week one, and I feel really bad that I I wasn't able to scoop him back up. I, you know they they I had just, him on the field at the goal line a lot last year. Um, right. It, it's just that Josh Allen took all those touchdowns. And here's the thing: I always say this with goal line carries. It, it's like saves in baseball. If you convert on the goal line carry, there's nothing they would like more than to push that button again. They yeah. love to have the big red easy button at the goal line. And if you prove you can convert there, they'll probably go back to you. If the news on Jamichael Hasty's ankle isn't too prohibitive, I think he needs to be rostered in, in every medium and deeper format. Even in some shallow formats, I might think about it just because it's a Shanahan offense. I like what he's shown through the first couple of weeks. And I, I just don't think there's a path for Mitchell running away with this job. I think other guys are going to get involved. It may be hard to know when to play Hasty, but he's somebody I'm going to try. I don't know where he's available in my leagues right now. I had added him maybe here or there last week, but any 49er running back presumably near the top of the depth chart we have to take seriously. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I was taking more of the approach that, uh, you know, you mentioned Jeff Wilson earlier um, last week. I, I, I found myself not placing a whole ton of super competitive bids on Mitchell for reasons we've already discussed. But I got plenty of Hasty and I got plenty of, of Wilson stashed in uh, in IR spots. And the, Perfect the IR thing, stash. Yeah, the thing that I keep coming back to with that team is like, a couple years ago, like 2019, when it worked as well as it could possibly work, and they were an absolutely dominant rushing offense, um, you know, team is on the way to the Super Bowl. They had three guys who were like over 120 carries and nobody had 150. And even when somebody was rolling, like even when Raheem Mostert was scoring every game at the end of the season, I forget what it was. It was like a month and a half. He just kept scoring. Um, he was doing that on like 11 or 12 carries and then they'd give him one or two targets. And that was the workload. It was basically 50% to one guy, 30% to another guy, 20% to another guy. Um, Coleman was still involved. Brita was still involved, right? Like everybody was, everybody was, in, it was a, everybody in the pool sort of situation. And, and they would have a lead guy, but it wasn't, you know, I, I just, I just doubt, I don't, I don't think that that team necessarily wants one person to be the featured back. There's like six teams in the whole league that do that. It's rare. Um, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't shoehorn situations into, into that. What are you doing with Cordell Patterson, who isn't it? I know you would probably not in most leagues use him as a receiver, but I want to point out that he has the dual eligibility and because I'm, I'm such a fan of that in, in other fantasy formats, you know, yeah. with, with basketball players who carry it with, with, I, I think a big fantasy hockey strategy is trying to get forwards who qualify at multiple positions. We know how useful it can be in baseball. I feel like it isn't anywhere near as useful in football because running back seems to be such a more of a need fill that if you're rostering Patterson, he's probably a running back for you. But even then, it's still just kind of fun that we have a few guys like that. Do you think he's going to get enough weekly touches where he can become relevant in maybe a medium league? Well, it sure seems like he's settled into double digit weekly touches. And we don't you know, I don't need to explain to people that Cordero Patterson is a pretty explosive player, had a couple of touchdowns against the Bucs. Um, he's good. You know, the reason to add him and the reason to to and perhaps now we could just have him on a bench. But, I mean, I, he's probably getting enough workload that you could you could throw him into a wide receiver spot and feel pretty good about it. But there's a you know, he's one Mike Davis injury away from being a guy who's seeing 15 to 20 touches. And now I can slide him into and these are backfield touches. These are goal line touches. And now I can slide him into a wide receiver spot. I want that like when if or when that happens. I mean, we only need Mike Davis to miss a couple of games and those are going to be 
week. Those are going to be potentially huge weeks for Patterson. So that's the reason to have him on a roster. He was he was sort of the one running back eligible player that I that I wrote about in the pickups column this week, in part because he's got that dual eligibility that almost no one has. Um, and it's it's going to be rare in football. Like if we I don't know, I, people try to have this conversation with me all the time about, well, why don't we why don't we look at where people are taking their snaps or where they're lined up at the snap of the football and give them, you know, we don't we don't want it to be like your fantasy basketball league where everybody is eligible everywhere. I, I think we want it to be a little bit cleaner than that. Um, but Patterson is one of those rare guys who has the dual eligibility and there's certainly a path for him to, you know, for, for him to be something close to a full workload running back who's actually eligible at receiver. So I find that really interesting. Yeah, I also think the what J.D. McKissick did on Thursday, whenever there's a quarterback change, we want to look at what was the usage, right? Mm, yeah. And immediately, Terry McLaurin pepper with targets. I'm all here for that. 14 targets on Thursday. J.D. McKissick, six targets, five for 83. And he also you stole a short rushing touchdown. You can't bank on that going forward. But J.D. McKissick is going to – he's immediately gotten comfortable – with Heineke, he's going to catch some plays in structure. He's going to catch some balls out of structure when a play breaks down, and he's just a safety valve. I wasn't sure that J.D. McKissick's season last year, albeit very fantasy useful, was going to be repeatable. Now I'm actually thinking that he was a value all season, and he's probably going to be just as good as he was last year, which was, again, a very handy guy to have rostered. Before we check out of this thing, let's uh, let's give the people a player or two that they can drop from their fantasy roster safely to make any of these ads. Uh, who's somebody that you're kicking on the curb? But before I say that, I just want to mention we we was kind of glossed over tight end. I like your Jared Cook idea. I think Dan Arnold in a deeper league and uh, Carolina was my favorite look ahead for defense. So if you can get Carolina on defense, I want you to go that route. Carolina might actually just be like good. When I was making the playoff picks and I was looking for my seventh NFC team, I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to pick Dallas. There's going to be some frisky sleeper who I don't see. And so I picked Dallas anyway, and they still may make the playoffs. But then the more I thought about it, I started to talk to some people who know Carolina, who follow them closely, uh, more closely than I do. Youngest defense in the league last year. And this, they just made some re- – one year they just drafted all for defense. They made some good moves in free agency. I think this is a good team. I I've never given up on Darnold. I like the skill talent here. I just I just don't think they're going to be a, a streamer against Houston this week. I don't know the schedule off the top of my hand after that, but I think I think they're going to be a defense that you might hold for a while. They, they might there might be some staying power here, and I think they, they look like a playoff team to me. I think we'll learn a lot the following week when they get when they get Dallas right because they haven't. I mean, they've obviously they've started their season with like the Jets and with Jameis, yep. and now it's going to be sure. Houston. And these are these are friendly spots. They've only given up like twenty one points to this to this point in the year. Um, I think three interceptions so far, but we're going to, we're going to learn something when they see Dallas. And if Dallas just absolutely steamrolls them, then okay, maybe we can back up. Well, let's be fair though. They shut down a new Orleans team that did everything they wanted the previous week against uh, a final four team in the Packers. You know, so not, not that the green Bay Packer defense is anything great, but new Orleans looked fantastic in week one. And then Carolina shut everything down in week two. So as far as my drop, Juwan Johnson is just, I don't trust Jameis. I think week one was a fluke. Johnson's going to be a guy who's not going to play a lot of snaps. Now, the good thing about Johnson is he's going to probably get goal line equity. He's going to get chances to score. You may have weeks where he gets two targets, one catch, four yards, and it's a touchdown. But Troutman's going to be on the field. I I don't think Jameis is is somebody I have any long-term confidence in. Eventually, I think Taysom Hill's going to start some games. He's certainly going to play every week, which complicates things. So even though Johnson 
probably has a path to like the, the Bob Tunyon year, right? He could probably score maybe seven touchdowns on, on 65 targets or something. Yeah. I don't want to chase it. I think it's a fool's errand. I also want to point out that Cleveland box score. Baker Mayfield only attempted 21 passes, and he still targeted yeah. 10 guys. That's really difficult to do. They're using three different tight ends. I know at one moment you'll think, oh, Hooper looks pretty good. Another moment you'll be like, oh, they finally unlocked David and Joku. There's too much gridlock there, and Baker's not he's not peppering anybody off the bus. You know, he didn't do it when Beckham was healthy last year. Landry has, you know, he's the the lead kind of dog in that offense, but he, he's not somebody who gets 11 or 12 targets all that commonly. They like to throw to matchups. They like to spread the ball around. And so I, I think you almost have to, I, I know some people were into Peoples-Jones last week as a deep sleeper. Every once in a while, Higgins makes a play. They just use too many guys. I don't think, other than, than Landry and OBJ, who are forced holds, I think anybody else tied to that receiving game, you, you have to cut as well. Boy, I, I feel the same way about the Browns. I I tried to talk myself into writing about somebody in the pickups column tied to that offense, right? Because I think it's a pretty fun team. They're they're down OBJ and now Jarvis Landry. Surely there's somebody we should be adding, but I can't, you know, there's just not workload. Like they had, guys had some nice highlights. Like there's a bunch of great athletes on that team. I think Njoku's a wonderful athlete and all that. N- nobody's getting more than five targets. Um, and it's really, really difficult for me to recommend anybody who's not getting any sort of volume no you it's just a needle you don't want to thread that needle i totally yeah. agree the uh the drop that i flagged this week and this is not my problem this is not a guy that i have but i know he's on a ton of rosters right now is is Kenyon drake um there's a lot of things that are really fun about the raiders offense right at this moment but um it's a it's a bad sign if josh jacobs can't go and Kenyon Drake, who was this, you know, big semi splashy acquisition for that team. If he's not the guy who steps up and takes the carries, if we're like, OK, we better get Peyton Barber some carries in place of Josh Jacobs. That's not a good sign. Um, I can see if you're in a super deep full PPR league, they obviously like to throw to Drake. They did that a little bit in week two. But man, I can't I can't find a good reason to roster that guy at this point, if he, unless he's getting extreme volume like he needs. He needs at least the volume that he got in Arizona last year, and he needs some friendly opponents in order for him to make any noise. And I'm also thinking when Josh Jacobs gets back, he's going to need a lot of touchdown deodorant because that has 3.5 YPC written all over it. <laughs> to, to John Gruden's credit, and look, I've, I've been as critical of John Gruden as anyone, but I think he's realized we got what we do well is throw the ball. We can't yeah. – yeah, he's always going to want to pound the rock some just to work on clock and to try to soften the defense up a little bit, but – this is going to be a pass first team. This is not going to be a Jacobs first team. It's certainly not going to be a Drake first team. And Derek Carr, who I, I think his best quarterback finish for fantasy is quarterback 10. I think that's back in play. I'd also like to point out that Derek Carr is currently the unofficial number one MVP candidate on P- Peter King's scoreboard. He's always been a Derek Carr guy. I <laughs> I don't know. Kyle, Kyler Murray and Tom Brady look pretty good to me. But I, I'll admit, everything I wrote on the Raiders I think was wrong. Um, I thought this was going to be the worst team in this division, and they've become a really fun watch, beating two teams that I respect. Pittsburgh's yep. a flawed team, but ba- Baltimore's going to the playoffs. They have as, as sound and coaching infrastructure as you can ask for, and they they you know, they took them down Monday night. Uh, they, I thought the Pittsburgh final score was misleading. I thought the Raiders were much – and this is somebody who needed Pittsburgh. I picked them. I had them involved in some different things, and you know, I realized half halfway through the day, this isn't going to happen. The Raiders are the better football team today. 
Uh, the league is just a little bit more fun when the Raiders are relevant. So yes, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, that is going to do it for us for another week. Uh, if you're on Twitter, and why wouldn't you be? It's a it's a wonderful family-friendly site. Nothing bad ever happens on Twitter. Um, follow me at Andy Barons. Uh, follow Scott at Scott underscore Pianowski. For fantasy news and analysis from the whole team, make sure you're also following at Yahoo Fantasy. A little podcast uh, to promote. Charles Robinson and Frank Schwab reacted to all 14 of Sunday's NFL games, including uh, the Ravens win over the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. That's on the latest episode of You Pod to Win the Game. Find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever wherever your home for podcast is. Give it a listen. Uh, Scott will be back tomorrow with Frank Schwab for the betting preview of week three in the NFL. Until then, we are out.